Well, it's a podcast for a uh, Friday. Bob McCown and uh, John Shannon are with you. And um, been a busy happy Black Friday. Well, yeah. Well, I'm uh, I'm still in the recovery room from uh, Thanksgiving uh, dinner yesterday. Oh, and how was it? It was great. Um, you know, did yeah. the bird uh, cook the turkey and uh, all the side stuff? And you know, yeah. you know, it, but yeah. it's it, you know, it's one of those meals. You start at two o'clock in the afternoon. And you put the, you got to get the turkey ready and then you put it in and then you got to all the, get all the sides done. It is like, it's five hours of preparation. It, it's, it's, if you're it's cooking hell, a Bob. turkey, it's hell. It's absolute hell. If you're cooking a turkey, you know, whether it's Christmas or Thanksgiving, it's just a big process. Now it's worth it in the end. And then, and then you sit down and you gobble all this stuff down and then, then you got to clean up. So um, I well, had a, I had turkey last night too. So oh, I had you? turkey last night. Yes, I did. Did you cook it? And or? I didn't have to. I, oh no! Are you kidding no. me? You went and bought bought a slab of turkey or something. I support. I supported a local establishment who was offering a U.S. Thanksgiving turkey meal. Great! I used to do that all the time, but yeah. we did it right from scratch yesterday. So, wow! Uh, wow! Was, Thanks for the invite. Thanks for the invite. Well, you know, it's COVID times, John. You got to be careful who you invite. And um, Tell me know, about I it. I don't know where you've been. So, I don't really care. So, uh, big news this morning. So, yeah, this morning, for those of you who haven't read the Globe and Mail or seen any of the media as yet, um, uh, I imagine everybody knows about it. But a uh, story in the Globe this morning that uh, Rogers and the Blue Jays and Brookfield, which is one of the y largest – um, for lack of a better term, state companies in the world, yeah. in the world, yeah. it's one of the largest companies period in the world, uh, have been in some level of conversation about the possibility of tearing down the, um, Rogers center and building a new facility. Um, it is an intriguing idea, but it's not a new idea. It's one that actually dates back about a decade, John, I, I I've been trying to, put the pieces together in the last hour of, of the timing of this, but I can't recall exactly how long ago, but I was involved with a, a small group of people who had a, a concept that was uh, larger than just a new baseball stadium, but a baseball stadium mm -hmm. was to be included in this deal. And um, uh, one of the, uh, key participants in the conversation was Paul Beeston, who at that point was the, uh, the, the major domo of, uh, of course, of the Blue Jays. And um, to that end, uh, Mr. Beeston will join us probably on Monday. We'll have further information forthcoming uh, to chat about what we looked at back then um, the differences in the proposal then from the proposal now, which seems to be to tear down the Rogers Center and construct something new along with a bunch of revenue generating things like residentials and et cetera. And, um, <laughs> no, no, it's actually, it's actually a residential project with, oh yeah, maybe a baseball stadium. Yeah, you're a hundred percent right. <laughs> And look, to be very blunt, I, I'm not being critical of that because that's uh, essentially identical to what we were proposing. Although it ours was on a, as you will find out, on a much, much larger scale. 
it was a massive, massive undertaking, and uh, it, it required political influence, and uh, we we obtained that, and uh, it just became so overwhelming, um, and it involves, remember the Bills in Toronto concept? It involved an NFL team. It involved a new arena for You remember when Toronto was going to be an expansion team, have a second team? Uh, the, mm -hmm. At one point, the guys in Markham were uh, looking at that, but there were all kinds of other people involved. It involved that as well. So we'll, uh, we'll share that with uh, our audience over the next uh, few days, how, exactly how, now, how that now, unfolded. How realistic do you think this deal could be? Or you think, no it's a, you think it's close to being a done deal? No. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. No, I don't think it's close to being a done deal at all. I think there are, um, uh, I don't, I think it's a valid story that it's being discussed. Do I think it sure. is on the road to completion? Absolutely not. Are there pitfalls in this? A million of them. Uh, not the least of which is Rogers does not own the land under which the uh, dome yeah. is being built. It's that might, that might be, might, might be a problem. That might well, be a problem. Well, it's, it may not be a problem, but it's, it means you're going to have to have a conversation with the feds, which is what we did. Right. We got on a plane and flew to Ottawa and met with the minister. Um, the, 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 one thing, the one thing different, Bob, about what Skydome originally did was, if you look at the city plans in the early 80s and, and, and then in 89 when the stadium was finished, it was a major impetus for expansion of the residential side of the western part of downtown Toronto. Except, it, John, it, it took 25 years for that to materialize. Everything takes 25 years, Bob. Development takes a long time. Well, Everything takes a lot. It does take a long time. Look at the corridor now between where Scotiabank Arena is and where the stadium is. It, 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 it it became it became the driver it, it it was the reason and and for all the all the uh the problems that this stadium has for all the complaints people have about this stadium um uh, in so many ways it was it was the impetus for you know the future of downtown toronto and it did it and it and it did its job and yeah that eventually become, then that becomes the key question but but don't underestimate the time lag there. That that time lag was was um, was was significant, a lot longer than everybody thought, and at least in part because, again, the majority of the land on which that development has now taken place is owned by the federal government. So you've got right. to get their approval for it, and you know, government approvals on any prop, project or property are 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 painfully long. But when you're when you're talking about the feds. And the vast amount of land that they actually own, um, mm -hmm. you know, well, between, between them and the railway, between them and the railway, well, between the Marathon Realty. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So we'll we'll go through all this stuff over the next uh, few days. The story is just beginning, I guess, in and from a public sense. Although, as I say, these discussions date back at least a decade, and involved a different group of people, but 
Um, so, uh, I guess my, will... my, my, my point in all this, Bob, is, is that I, I, I know your, your project was a downs view. Um, I, I still am in favor of a downtown stadium and whatever plan they have, they better keep whatever stadium exists downtown because I think that, that uh, that's been a, a really good record of what a, uh, uh, an inner city stadium can do uh, for an area. Well, you and you don't have to agree. You, you know, you, I'll disagree, you know, I'll disagree with you, and you know we did a lot of homework on on this. Yeah. And the population epicenter of the GTA is about it's less than a quarter of a mile from where our proposed um, stadia were going to be built. Yeah. So. And, and we did a lot of research on that, you know, and, and then, then you start talking about access. Well, you've got 401, you've got the Allen, if you need it, you've got the 400 is not far away. You've got, you know, it's really the most accessible place well, for everybody. Now, I mean, well, yeah. you, you, you want to be downtown. Okay, fine. Yeah, I do. I want to be downtown. I want to be downtown. Shut my shit. I want to take, but... I, I want, I want, I want to be downtown. I want to take my go train into the game. I want to go back to the, my commuter train and go home. Well, again, um, at the time that we, this is all stuff we'll talk about next week, but at, at the time, remember that they were extending the subway system, uh, literally right past there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The Spadina and it was line. More, yeah. And it was going, uh, further North. And I don't know where it is now. Is it, is it, a, is it at steels? I don't even know. Um, I don't live in that area, so I don't take that subway. Well, I don't live in that area, and I don't take the subway at all. So I don't know, but I know that from a public access point of view, from a public transit point of view, that worked as well. So a um, lot of work went into that, that project, and um, <laughs> it's still not out of the question. Anyway, um, I spoke to Beeston this morning. Paul will come on and talk about the things that we discussed back then, his perspective on it. He had a very unique perspective on, um, on building a new stadium, the, the eventual need for a new facility for the Blue Jays, and what was that facility going to look like? What kind of facility yeah. was it? And I don't think people will be shocked. I think you and I have talked about this. I've mentioned it. Back in the days when, uh, yeah. remember those old days we used to do actual real radio. Um, what? I don't. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, you probably. So don't. no, but, but the other thing is, we also have to remember one of the reasons why Sky Dome was built for a practical perspective, and that was because the weather in April and May, and uh, September and perhaps October was horrendous on the lake. Yeah, well, and on the needed, lake, and it needed a roof, and it, and it needed a roof. And it needed a roof. So they we, have to find a way get, that they want John, we regular get turf in the stadium to appease, you know, you know, long weather issues in this city. Um, and, uh, and then the, the turf issues in the city. Don't forget, you're talking to the guy who was at every Blue Jay game at Exhibition Stadium from yeah. Yeah. April 7th, 1977 on. So you don't have to tell me about the weather conditions. How many days did you wear a parka? Few, opening day for yeah. sure. I had a I had a, a full length fur coat on. Yeah, on opening day, which Phil Roof um, offered me fifty bucks to rent for the day because he was the bullpen catcher, 
And remember, the bullpens were, were not only outdoors, but yep. they were actually on the field of play down the left well, field and right field lines. I sat in the, the seats there freezing. long enough to know it was a wind tunnel at times. So. Oh, no, look at, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not anti-Skydome. I, I like the Skydome or Rogers Center now. I, I got nothing against it. But you have to understand, you know, when, what you'll remember, when the dome was built, everybody said, this is, this is where professional sports is going to go. Everybody is going to want to have one of these. Yeah. And I can remember until, going down there until, with the architect. Well, ev- people from all over the world came to see how this building was constructed. Uh, you know, o- over whatever it was, two years, however long, two and a half years mm-hmm. where they were building it. They had architects. They had poli- political people. They had sports people. Come and watch how this was put together. This was like the eighth wonder of the world. And, and in the end... How many more of these were actually built? Very few. Essentially, and technology none. changed. Technology changed. Technology, yes, technology changed. changed. Anyway, and, let's talk and, about and it. We're going to get into all that. All right. Uh, so that's next week. Um, we we um, I, as I said, I talked to Beeston. So Beeston will join us. Uh, we're hopeful of having others who may or may not be involved in this deal uh, be with us as well. It'll be some. Um, hopefully intriguing conversation as we follow up on um, the publication of the Globe and Mail uh, story. Uh, We're going to take the break, but when we come back, a couple of guests will join us to talk about the National Hockey League, who on this day have absolutely no plans to come back. Uh, I know they're working on it, but right now, we have no idea. We'll talk about it when the podcast continues after this very brief message. You, you take my breath away. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Can this be true? Don't forget me when I'm gone My heart will break I have loved you for so long It's all I can take Uh, we are back on the podcast. McCowan here, Shannon over there, as per usual. Can't get rid of him. And uh, we have the perilous um, uh, prospect of uh, having, well, it's not even a prospect. It's a fact. We have no idea when hockey is going to start again. The NBA is getting ready for uh, training camps. It's going to be a couple of days away. It's a couple of days away. Um, and yet the NHL is still, well, we don't know exactly what they're doing. I guess they're talking. Uh, maybe they're arguing. Uh, maybe they're negotiating. Well, they're not. That, that, one of the big issues, Bob, right now is that uh, as of yesterday, they had not talked to the Players Association uh, for about six days. Well, why uh, is, a, is one of the questions. Well, I think, it's a game, I think it's a game of chicken. Well, I think let's, it's a dis- game of chicken. let's discuss it. We've got uh, two gentlemen with us who um, most certainly are uh, capable and uh, insightful enough to uh, give us a little bit of insight as to uh, what's going on. Our friend Eric Dehachik is uh, with us, um, now with The Athletic. 
And uh, John Forsland is with uh, the NHL on NBC. Uh, guys, good to see you. Thanks a lot for uh, stopping in. E to you first. Are you surprised, chagrined, concerned, frustrated by the fact that here we are on, well, we're, we're approaching the end of November and we have no idea what's happening or when it's going to happen? Yes and no, uh, but what I would say is that, uh, that the history of Gary Bettman and his negotiations slash talks slash whatever you want to call uh, the, the thing that goes on with the Players Association has always proved to me that nothing gets done until there's a firm deadline, and then things move very rapidly. And so what I would suggest is that there is no firm deadline yet, all of the modeling that the league and the Players Association have done for this upcoming season ha still has a January 1st start. And so within the context of that, they were hoping for a two-week training camp, about three exhibition games, and then they wanted to give those seven non-play-in teams an extra week, right? So you need to get everybody in place, at least in seven of 31 markets, by December 8th, 9th, 10th. But you don't have to play three exhibitions, you can play one, you don't have to have a 14-day camp, you can have 10, and those teams can have a four-day camp instead of seven. So the real date, in my mind, is December 15th, 16th, where some players have to be in place. And so as you point out, you know, we're at Friday, November 27th today, and that still gives them a little bit of leeway. And, you know, the owners, because of the economic pressures on them, some of them anyway are having liquidity issues. Um, they would like to see more deferrals than what was previously agreed to. The Players Association are saying a deal's a deal and, and, and they want to stick to their guns. And so they're in this stalemate. And you know, circling back to my original answer, in, in the past, this, this has been the pattern, you know, that it's stalemated, it's stalemated, it's stuck, it's whatever you want us to say, and then in a week's time or two weeks' time, when it starts to get really serious, and if you really want to maintain that January 1st start date, which they do, because you know everything is dependent on scheduling, et cetera, et cetera, um, then I think they'll get serious. So if we were having this discussion two weeks from now, I would be frustrated, ready to throw things at the wall, but today I'm not, because it, to me, it just follows a familiar pattern. John, you share that assessment? I do. Um... I, I think when we were in the bubble in Edmonton, some of the speculation, one of the dates we heard was January 18. I don't know why, but some of the, you know, high level people, league people we talked to, Bob, were, were throwing that date around. I know January 1's the, the aspiration, right? That's the, the utopic one everybody tries to get to. But I think what you have to look at here is um, past history of what could be worst case. Of course, absolute worst case is no season. Um, I would hope no one has appetite for that. I think that's a dead-end street, in my opinion. Um, I understand where some of the owners are with that, but you look at relevance for the league and all of that, those things. But if you look at uh, the lockouts and you look at a 48-game matrix, they have it as your bare minimum for some type of a legitimate season. And I would think that's really doable in the middle of January, certainly mm -hmm. the beginning of February, if it goes that late. And if you appease some of the owners by saying you push back a little bit more to get to a point where there's realistic hope for people in some markets. Maybe that helps. Maybe Super Bowl Sunday is a date 
they could look at with, uh, I know in the States that would be perfect for the rights holder here to kind of kick off the season with a 1230 game, Super Bowl Sunday. They normally have a Sunday afternoon game on NBC at that time. Mm-hmm. And you would finish mm-hmm. then, but if you start beginning of February, easily by the middle of July, right? Because we started the end of January with the 48 games. We finished almost under normal conditions with that setup. So I, I, I have no idea. I'm, I'm just throwing it off the wall here. But, but I think um, based on the history of the league and everything, they have a cushion of knowing 48 is doable. I think they'd like to do more if they could. But if, as John pointed out, if this is a game of chicken, which it is, similar to baseball, where they pushed and shoved back and forth, back and forth, until they got to a point where they force-fed a 60-game schedule down the players' throats. I mean, I, I think we're kind of going down that road, unfortunately. So, John, you're the token American on the show. Thank um, God. Steady. How, how, well, yeah, you're, you're, a, you're a landed immigrant. Um, how, how important is it for the NHL to optically be playing when you consider the other winter sport, the NBA is going to be up and running? How, how much value do you put in that? It, for, particularly for non-traditional markets, for non-traditional markets. Tremendous value because it's too easy, John, to, to, to put it away in some of those markets, uh, particularly in the market where I live now and have for two decades plus in Raleigh. It's too easy to put it away. In Florida, it's too easy to put it away. I would think in Nashville, it's easy, Dallas and so on, especially if you're up against NBA competition, major college basketball. The, the NCAA is a wing and a prayer. They're just trying to somehow do this. I don't know if they're going to be successful or not. Um, But it's unfortunate because remember all the positive vibe we all had in the summer when it looked like, oh my goodness, look at this. Cooler heads finally came together. You've got an extension on a deal that was kind of up for for grabs the previous summer where we're going into September. We didn't know what was going to happen then under normal conditions. Now they've carved out what looks like some labor piece. The players have never been... uh, in favor of escrow. They haven't liked it from the, from the beginning of this setup, but they've, they've swallowed it. And now the rules are changing and we know why they're changing and we could argue what's fair and what's not. But I think to your point, relevance for the national hockey league is very important. If you go away, this is much more dangerous. I think with the public based on what everyone's gone through with this pandemic, much more dangerous than a labor dispute. This is almost like, really, you guys can't figure this out to, to bring it back. Um, you know, it's easy for us. We, we don't have any money in the game, right? So we're not, an, we're not owners. But right. um, I think relevance, even if you're an owner, you have to look mm-hmm. at the, how successful the league was before this and where it can go next. And if you take a huge pause for this reason, uh, what damage will you do? Uh, oh, that's true. Um... And yet, at the same time, it is it. It's curious to me, Eric, to you that that the NBA gets their deal done, and the NHL is still waffling. And, yeah, but, but there's a, and, there's and a I, simple reason for that, Bob. Yes, there's I a know. Simple reason. There's ge- it's a geographic reason. You got seven franchises in Canada. Well, no, that and can't it's, cross it, the border. It's the amount of, and it's amount the amount of league revenue that is coming in, without being reliant on people. And the NBA is is has a much better. It's a much better situation. I get it, John. Sure. I get it. It's a better business. It's a better business plan. 
Yeah, and, I and, get it. And that's not, that's, not, that's not being negative to the NHL owners. It's just a fact of life that hockey, and heck, I mean, we've all, we've all lived in markets where we've seen a few empty buildings. It, it's, they're, they're more reliant on gate receipts and everything in the, the, the local market. That's the biggest difference. Well, let's get back to this um, this Canadian division thing. I, I guess we have to assume that that's fait accompli, that that's just, this is not a problem. There is no choice other than to have a Canadian division and not have teams traveling across the border. Eric, is that what you hear and understand? Yeah, yeah, and that, uh, and, and I've heard and understood that for a long time, way back right. in, in August. In fact, I wrote about it a, a number of times. And, and that, to me, logistically, that's not a problem at all. In fact, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. In fact, the, the response I've had to the columns about the Canadian division are, A, we want to see it, this is from fans, mm -hmm. and B, we want to see it permanently if we can. And, uh, you know, there's- Well, that's not going to happen. No, I know that's, that's not going to happen. I, I understand the television issues involved in, in, in having a division uh, that includes three different times. But the reality is, you know, this is all about achieving compromises and this is one compromise but I don't see an issue at all I, I do think that um, the, the original talk was uh, about bubbles that was immediately rejected then there were, the next talk was hub cities they don't love hub cities either so the way things are, are going to go is that teams according to the plans that are in place right now will travel to these you know Calgary will travel to Toronto and play twice and then go to Ottawa and play twice and play twice in Montreal and come home and then and then have teams come through. So that won't be a problem and that won't be an issue. To me, the, the biggest single stumbling block right now is that there are some owners uh, because of their financial situation that, that would rather not play because it's cheaper not to play than to play and, and lose more money. And, and that, exactly. And, that, and, that, and that's a, but that luckily, as, as I understand it, uh, from my reporting is a minority right now. And the majority understand, as John Forsman pointed out, the value of playing. And one of the things we haven't talked about, and, and this, you know, John Shannon is right up your alley, is that if you if you play this year, you burn off the final year of your US television deal. And that's critical because if you don't play and the and the deal gets told, then you're not at the negotiating table and trying to sign a lucrative extension. And, and they believe that a, a, an important revenue stream will be increased when they have that American television deal. And you can't start negotiating a new one until you complete the old one. So I think that will be the single primary driving factor in getting a deal done. The fact that the league understands they have to, they have to play. They have to play and then the TV deal is up. And then you're back at the table negotiating, hopefully with multiple partners, increase in revenue fees. And at a time when you really need more revenue streams, you'll get it in that way. Well, I actually think that the league is talking to the partners and, and other rights holders right now uh, for the United States, but only on the basis that the contract expires at the end of the season. And that becomes, and what we're talking about there money-wise is if you think that we're going to, if we were, if hockey was forced to extend it one year, that's a $200 million deal. It, it, the theory is next year could be between 600 and $800 million. That means they'd be losing and leaving 400 to $500 million television alone in the United States on the table. The other thing about it is, and not many people talk about this, is you'd also told the Canadian 
package on right. Rogers. And the last year of the Rogers deal is quite low as a number. It's not even, I don't believe it's even $300 million in the last year of the Rogers deal, the way it works on average. And you'd be leaving in theory money on the table six years from now too. And I don't think they want to do that. Well, um, I get all that. Um, at the end of the day, uh, they're still, you know, waffling back and forth about this. Um, they've had, you know, we've lived through this for what, nine months. Um, yes, you had to get the last season completed and they, they did that, but then they had, that whole time, that two months, essentially, to, to start planning for the future. And did we know whether the pandemic was going to continue? I suppose theoretically not, but we're 99% sure that this was not going to be resolved imminently, that there was not going to be a vaccine coming down the road that would cure all these problems. And yet here we are, you know, counting, as, as Eric was doing earlier, counting days till they announce yeah. something. But uh, um, but I think Bob, I think it's it's I think it, I think it's I mean I I don't think it's for the lack of trying and the lack of planning. Uh, what I think it is for, is the lack of agreement, more than anything else. I mean it's when you have three group when in theory you have three groups you have the players on one side and you have the owners, then the league office sitting in the middle trying to find a way to appease both sides. It's it's quite difficult. It, well, it's no sure different it is, than what they, but the N, the NBA no did what they did in the spring seamlessly. That's yeah, the but, part that, that, but but it, again, it goes back to the power of the rights holders. It's the power of Adam Silver to be able to say, guys, we get $1.8 billion from television. Well, $1.8 billion. You know, Look at, LeBron, you, come on up to the table, you know. Eugene Melnick was on with us last, uh, last week or the week before, recently in any event, uh, the owner of the Ottawa Senators, who is um, – not shy of opinion. Um, and uh, I didn't really get a sense as to whether he really wants there to be a, a, a season or not. I think he's trying to play along with what Batman wants him to say. John, have you talked to any other owners? Do you have any, or do you have any sense as to where they stand individually? What about your guys down in Carolina? Oh, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I would, I, I think I'd be bang on with this. I would think he doesn't want to play if there's a sm if there's a minority group. And I've heard, you know, speculation of five or six owners that don't want to have a season. I would strongly suggest based on, you know, his Tom Dundon's uh, uh, business portfolio and uh, the fact that he kind of had to do some reshuffling with top golf to put that in a better spot and the other things, I have no idea what else he has. But I, I can guarantee you that I would think he'd be a guy that wouldn't want to do it. Um, uh, Carolina is uh, uh, desperately in need of gate receipts and, and people in the building to make it successful. It's a market that is stretched out uh, corporate-wise. It, it's not a, uh, obviously it's a small U.S. market, but it's not a market that has a lot of opportunity for the team to tap into different revenue streams from a sponsorship uh, advertising standpoint, uh, the television numbers and so on, all these different things. So, and again, it, it's hidden in a, in a market where there's rich college football and basketball right. um, and, and other things that people will do. They'll, they'll, they'll go to the mountains. They'll go to the beach. They'll, 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 they, the weather warrants it. You, you're, you're, you have other ways to occupy your time. And then, 
you know, you've got the, uh, I'll tell you what, we have a, Bob, we have a very uh, a tight state uh, politically in terms of uh, um, the crackdowns. Uh, so the governor hasn't moved much off of what he's allowing. As a matter of fact, this past week, he, he doubled down again. So I would think that when the time comes to uh, percent capacity and people allowed in the PNC arena, that's going to be a stretch. So I would think that they're, they're probably in, in that position, but um, he's going to have to look at, like I said at the top, he's going to have to look at the, the bigger picture. Most of these guys are going to have to, I think, when they get to the, that point where it's D-Day and they have to make a decision. And unfortunately, I don't think they're there yet. If they're still, you know, we're going to go away for a few days and be quiet on this and, and, and be, you know, the players have kind of stated their position and the owners have too, and now we're in a stalemate then we're nowhere near deadline, right? It's, it's, not, I guess. it's yeah. not there yet. Unless, unless you want to play January 1. January 1, I would think the deadline is next week, right? And a lot of these players are in town. A lot mm -hmm. of the players are, are, are working out amongst each other. So, uh, and that includes Europeans. Uh, and it is the case with the Hurricanes. Many of their Euros are, are, are back in Raleigh. So they're, they're positioned to get going. It's just, you know, when's that time come? John. Well, there's still there, but there still are some European players uh, ac across the Atlantic, and they would require oh, yeah. 14 days to quarantine. Correct. So, so that that's again another part of that that timetable. And, and we we've all talked. We think it's a given that we're not going back into any sort of bubble. Um, John, you were in the bubble. Uh, yeah. How difficult was it? Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> listen, it's. It depends on what, what your definition of difficult is. Um, we were all happy to be working. We were all there. Personally, I felt challenged by it professionally. I thought it was a great experience. I'm going to look back at that as one of the highlights of my career. Um, but when you get into the mundane Groundhog Day, every day is the same total restriction aspect of this and players being uh, separated from their families and not being able to, to really celebrate their their wins and 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 uh, and get into this position where they have the sympathy of their family when they lose. You know, I think they missed all of that. So I can I can tell you guys, bar, bar none, there's no appetite to go back to a bubble unless they absolutely see a financial reason why they have to do it. The players and the coaches of the of the teams all shared the same sentiment. We did this. It's it's there. Once they got to a point, the final four realizing they could win the cup. The attitude changed a little bit. There was some dog day periods where everybody was, I think there were some teams that wanted to go home if they were honest. Um, and, but for us, I was there 70 days between the two bubbles, 70 straight days, tested every day, did the same thing day in and day out, room to the restaurant, back to the room, over to the rink, so on and so forth. I mean, yeah, if you want to get negative, it was, it was a little bit much, but you tried to stay up and, and realize what you had a job to do. And it was, it was pretty cool in some ways, but uh, I don't think that was shared among all the players <laughs> and especially the guys who are healthy extras who, right. you know, were there the entire time and never got a chance to play. That was a total, uh, another level of commitment. That was amazing. One of the other things that um, Melnick talked about, you know, you know, Eugene, whatever his expertise is, he certainly has a, a, a level of that in terms of the pharmaceutical business. Cause you know, with uh, Biovel, 
Um, and he was very clear about the prospect of a vaccine and the problematic issues that are going to face all of us, the government specifically, in, in disseminating that vaccine, who gets it, when they get it. He said it's going to be really, really problematic. And um, he also had concerns about the expediency with which this vaccine was uh, allegedly uh, developed. Um, and and I, I, I got the sense that even though he doesn't say, I don't want to play, which I believe he doesn't. I, you know, I agree with you, John, that there's a number of owners, and I would think Melnick is among them. That would say I, I think there's eight to 10, by the way. In my opinion, I think there's eight to 10 guys. Could very well be. But I, that, I, that, are, they, that, are look, that are looking at looking at their bottom line. They're, they're talking to their own bankers, and they're saying, it's, it's, it, as Eric talked about, it's better for me, I'm, or I'm losing less money now than I am if I play without people in my building. Well, I, mean, I, I guess one of the questions I should raise, I'll throw it to you, Eric. Uh, uh, by percentage, um, do, if there's 10, uh, is that enough to void the concept of starting a season? Like, w w how, how many of these guys can stand up and say, no, I won't play? Uh I don't think 10 is enough. No, I don't. Um, well, first of all, uh, my answer to you, first of all, Bob, would be that I think that the va every NHL owner understands that the most important thing is the long game. So you were referencing vaccine in, in vaccines in your, in your question. I think that they realize there's a very good chance, a very good chance that even with a vaccine rolling out possibly in January, possibly in, in, in February, that it isn't going to have enough of an effect of an impact on the ticket buying public to, right. create, to create the level of confidence that you need to go back into a building at even 50% capacity or 40% capacity. My understanding from talking to people, sort of decision makers, is that they feel that the first step is 20% of, of the people in the building. So similar to what you're seeing in a handful of NFL stadiums right now. And they believe that that they will have to get through this shortened season, assuming they play, um, with with very very little gate receipt. They feel that if the if the climate has shifted by the time we, they get to the playoffs, that those capacities may increase uh, to fifty percent. But ideally, the, the the most important thing, the thing that they don't want to take their eye off the ball, is is the start of the 21-22 season. So they want training camps to open on September the 16th, the way they normally do. They want the regular season to open on October the 6th, the way they do. They want Seattle to come in and play and have an expansion draft and pay the final installment of that fee. And they don't want anything to disrupt the, the fact that this 30-second, very lucrative and potentially very successful franchise comes in. So a, a lot of what they're doing right now is just to get to that point. So, you know, we're in November, that's September, and in 10 months, ideally, they want to get a season played, television contract burned off, everyone is going to assume losses, the players will be, make, will be making less money, owners, no matter how well healed they are, will all be operating in the red, some more deeply than others. And I think that that is Batman's selling point, that, that this who will pass, uh, but it won't pass very quickly. And if we do anything to undermine the progress of these things by not playing, we could create a, 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 such a negative situation that, that it's not worth it. So let's find a way of playing and let's try to maximize our 
financial side of things in these negotiations. And again, I'll go back to what I said at the start. I, I do think that they will eventually achieve a deal as it gets closer to uh, you know, what we used to call in CBA negotiations a drop dead date. And, and, and let's face it, Eric, you talked about the expansion fee. The, the last portion of that Seattle expansion fee might end up being the largest check all of these owners get. They've received some of it. And, and the other thing is to consider is, I've been told, a few of them have already spent it. <laughs> so, so, so there are a few people that have been working on their line, working within their lines of credit already. So they need to find a way on your timetable, expansion draft, regular draft, all this stuff in the summertime in order to try to accomplish to get back to October because they want to make sure Seattle gets delivered properly because they owe, at some point they're going to owe Seattle something as opposed to Seattle owing them money. And look, I understand that, you know, I, I understand fully what, what John said earlier. And um, I understand, uh, you know, I, I get the economics um, and the pressures of the economics and the fact that they don't want to extend broadcast deals for another year. Yes, they would like to open the doors and have a, a full negotiation with a variety of broadcasters, presumably, uh, this off season. But at the end of the day, it's going to cost a whole bunch of guys a whole whack of dough in order to get to that, yeah. that point. And, John? and maybe, and yeah, maybe this isn't an important point, but I think it is for the teams. Uh, development of players. Think about oh. the teams that haven't played since March. All right. Think about, just to pick one guy out, Jack Hughes. Hasn't played a competitive game since March. And now if you go this long, you know, what happens to he and others in terms of, of their athletic development and then also those franchises who are just dormant. If they don't come back and crank up some activity in their markets, you know, what happens when there is consumer confidence? You know, how long do you want to go with this? Um, yeah, it's, it's complex, isn't it? Well, and, and, I'm sorry, can I just follow that up? So, so what, another thing that hasn't come up very often but, but is a real concern of, of, of some senior management people in the NHL is that for the, for the most part, the world feels poor. And, and so, you know, the idea that in the past, maybe you were a, a part season ticket holder in, in, in Calgary where the economy isn't good, and, 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 and perhaps your spending patterns will change, your viewing habits will have changed. And so even if, even if you were a long time season holder in, in a traditional market, you might decide, I don't want to commit the, the dollars it takes to, to get myself in that door to watch those games live anymore. And the longer it goes without fans in the building, the, 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 the greater the danger is there. And so I, I think that they, they need to you know, keep the product front and center and they need to then eventually re-engage these fans because they just feel that, you know, that a whole lot of people um, have lost a lot of money in this, in this pandemic and, and they are not on the same financial footing that they were before. And one of the things that, that, disappears right away is that discretionary spending associated with professional ice hockey. And so, and, and, and that's not just not season tickets. That's, that's also that, that the ripple effect of that is in sponsorship uh, at both the national and local level. I mean, that we're talking a big pot of money uh, beyond what, uh, what we're talking about from with television. We're, we're talking, we could Bob be, be talking about 70% in the end, 70% of revenues, that go to the teams 
has disappeared and we don't know when it's coming back. Well, and it occurs to me, and I, I've thought this for some time, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but if I'm a sponsor, I don't know about you guys, what you think, but if I'm a sponsor in the national hockey, they're going to no rush. Um, you know, most advertisers have either canceled or, or, or geared back their advertising dollars significantly during this, uh, this pandemic. And, um, if I've got an investment and I'm going to arbitrarily say $10 million in, in sponsorship of the National Hockey League, would I rather hold that $10 million in advertising promotion sponsorship back to 2021-22 or have it implemented right now? Forsland, you're, you're shaking your head. What do you think? I, 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 I'm along with the right now. I don't, I don't <laughs> see the, the – I think it's a black hole the other way. And, again, I think they're – there, there, there's other ways companies can, can market. And if they, mm -hmm. they step aside from the NHL, I, I, I hate, you know, cause we've lived our lives. Uh, many of us, you know, with this league and off this league, whatever you want to phrase it. But um, we love, we love the national hockey league. We love the game, but uh, to be fair, where are you on the rung of popularity with all the other sports? And if it goes dark, what happens to all of that? Um, very difficult. Very obviously, it's a, it's a, it's being wrestled with at the highest level. But I think it's, I, I don't see an end game to to saying, hey, listen, it's better for us if we if we don't play. Is it really? Is the other side really better with all the things we just talked about? Is is that what we're driving at here? I, I don't. Yeah. Um, it was um, not our intent to solve the problems of hockey no. in the National Hockey League with this conversation. And to that end, we have achieved our objective because we have solved yeah. nothing. Absolutely nothing. We could actually, the four of us could actually solve the issues for everybody, but they're not going to ask us. Well, to but they, you know, not without, not without getting It's always been the case. Uh, <laughs> guys, uh, great to see you. Um, Same here. Uh, Forsland, I hate you. You're playing golf tomorrow. and um, oh, It's okay. I like being hated. It's, it's okay for you, but yeah. the rest of us are kind of going, what? Um, great to see you, though. Stay safe and uh, stay you well, too. and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to chat soon. And uh, Dehachik, you look beautiful. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll call on you again soon, too. Thanks a lot, guys, for joining us today. Thank uh, you. That Thank is you. the podcast for today. Uh, the weekend is ahead. Enjoy it as best you can. And um, a little more on the Blue Jays and a new stadium when we uh, reconvene on Monday. Goodbye from Toronto.